Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Wow, I'm excited for this podcast. I am super excited, too. This is going to be a great one. This podcast is a little different because we get to interview an incredible person today. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. We are talking about Miriam Lancewood. And wow, she has, I just keep saying wow, (laughs) she has done some amazing things in her life. She's an incredible person. But what we're going to talk to her today about is her time living wild in New Zealand with her partner, Peter Rain. Eight years, my friends. Now, Rewild You is all about rewilding, which is what happens when humans connect more with nature. This is a gift to humanity in my mind, because what it is, is a very rare experience, example, of what happens when someone steps out of civilization into the wild, not just for a couple days or a month or a few weeks, but for years and years. Her story is unbelievable. Again, I'm just so blown away by the fact that we get to talk to her today about some of how she has been influenced by this time in the wilderness. Not just simple things, you might, oh, here's how to live without this, but the deeper aspects. How has it altered her physically, mentally, emotionally? What has she noticed? And then how she is bringing that back to the rest of us in the modern world, the lessons that she is able to share. Should we get started? I think so. We'll save information about her website and her book for afterwards. I think we should just head straight to the meat of it. Yeah, there's a lot of great material that you can get from her website, but we will talk about that in the episode. Let's go. Well, Miriam, thank you so, so much for coming on to our our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're delighted. So we're wondering if you would share with us your story sort of in brief, especially what brought you into the wild and also what keeps you there. Yeah, so actually the story started when I was traveling on my own in India. Um, That was in 2006. And there I met Peter, um, who was from New Zealand. And together we traveled all through Southeast Asia and eventually we came to his home country, New Zealand, because I am originally from Holland. So we went to New Zealand and I had to work for one year as a teacher uh, to get my residency. And uh, I did that for a year and then I resigned because in that year we figured out that we really did not want to live in a real house. (laughs) <laughs> we actually wanted to live in the wilderness where we went every weekend to go hiking and camping. And um, so we decided that after my years was finished as a, on the school, we would um, go and uh, give all our belongings away and uh, get rid of possessions and go with our backpack to live in the wilderness. And that was in the mountains of the South Island, New Zealand. Wow. And uh, I learned how to hunt with a bow and arrow, and we hunted and we gathered and we uh, collected the plants. And um, um, yeah, we have done this since 2010. That's amazing. I think something that's so exciting for us about this is that 
with our school here, we get to see people come out of civilization and then go live in the woods for four months, sometimes 11 months at a time. And there is so much personal transformation, the transformations you must have went through, because that, that love of nature, you go out and then you discover how much baggage we have from civilization, it feels like. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> The biggest thing for us is that we are, that what I found out is that we, because we're living in there, we are part of nature mm. rather than an observer. So most people go out in nature and they really love it and they take pictures and all that, but they always feel a little bit like an outsider, like an observer. Mm -hmm. yeah. And with us, because we're constantly busy with hunting, you know, if you're hunting, you're like a tiger, you know, you're, you're mm. out there to get food, just like other predators. And we spend a lot of time eating berries and that, just like, uh, you know, the, the animals out there. And, uh, and then we're gathering firewood and we sit around the fire a lot. So it's really like being part of that ecosystem. So, again, we get to see that in these little ways. But for you to have lived that for so long is, I think this is a treasure for humanity because we have all came from those hunter-gatherer roots. And we can see it to some extent when we go and observe people that are still living in those hunter-gatherer tribal societies. But for people to come from society and then go out into it, I think the perspective that you have is something that we all really, really need to hear. Yeah, indeed. And uh, what's most interesting in this, all these senses that we have and are born with and uh, what our ancestors used um, – they're all sort of dormant when you live in a city. But mm. when you live out there a long time, all those senses come back. So my sense of smell has increased enormously because I need that for hunting. And my vision, look in the far distance to see if I see anything moving, like um, a deer or something or a rabbit. And uh, also my hearing has improved so much. And Peter, Peter is the same. He's hearing only because he's, he's much older than I am, but even his hearing has increased a lot, and his vision as well. And then also a sense of intuition, because if you don't know, don't have any sense of where the animal could be, you could walk for a long time without seeing anything. <laughs> that completely reverses our cultural paradigms. As you get older, our senses yeah. fail. But no, you're saying that the opposite can happen when we go out into nature and and wake those senses back up. That's it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, um, and the city is very desensitizing, but in the, the opposite happens indeed in nature. Yeah. I feel like that's an encouraging message for people to hear because sometimes it seems in our modern culture we can get um, kind of tunnel vision and think, oh, well, it's all falling apart and it could never become better. And I love that message that all of those inherent senses become expanded when we step out into nature. Yeah, they're all still there. It's in our brain, you know, it's in our blood. Our ancestors survived that way. Mm. So all these things don't take much to um, revitalize. So just a day in your life. You've kind of hit on this already a little bit, what your daily life is like. But could you paint a little bit of a picture for listeners of what a day is like out there in the wild? All depends on the weather. In New Zealand, the weather is very... Um, changeable uh, some days you could have four seasons in one day sort of a thing but uh, let's say the weather is really very very good then I get up very early before the sun rises and I get out of the tent 
and uh, I start to explore our surroundings. Because we are nomadic, we are constantly exploring new surroundings. Oh. And uh, I will go hunting with my rifle these days, because it's a lot easier than um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um And hopefully I will see a hare. And I have discovered that if you see a hare running, it's way too late. <laughs> so now I have found out that I need to look for the color of the hair. So that is a particular color brown uh-huh. that I'm looking for. And I'll scan the whole ha- landscape. I'll stand still and I'll look, look, look endlessly. A little bit boring at times, but eventually I might see something that is the color of the hair. And then I'll sneak onto it. And if I'm lucky, I can shoot it. And uh, I'll spare you all the details of the, <laughs> the cutting <laughs> and all that. But I uh, come back to camp and Peter is very happy that I have um, shot something because um, straight away he um, light the fire and um, we might have some tea that we make from herbs and that. Mm. And uh, then we fry the heart, liver and kidneys because that's really good to eat fresh. Oh. And uh, that will be our breakfast. And um, we might have that with chapati that we just make from some flour and water and a little salt. And uh, that's our bread. And then in the afternoon we would go uh, for a walk. And we, we say, watch, which river shall we, which stream shall we walk up? And we just walk up into the mountains and we might come across a waterfall or something, something unexpected. Because we are in territory that has never been um, lived in. People never lived there and all the history. In the, in the Southern Alps, New Zealand, the Maori people lived in the, mostly the North Island. Oh. And so there's no tracks of no, no evidence of, um, of, of villages and nothing like that, you know. It's all very untouched. Wow. And uh, we might come to a little lake on top of the mountain, a little lake where the stream starts, for instance. And you really feel like no one has ever been there. And these sort of discoveries is amazing, really very different from follow this sign to 10 minutes and you see a waterfall and take pictures (laughs) with other tourists. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we do that and then we come back in the evening and we we make our dinner with the the hair, we cook the hair on the fire. And then we, you know, quietly eat that and then we (laughs) go to bed when it's dark. (laughs) And really sleep when it's dark and wake up when it's light. Mm. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, right along with the rhythms. Yeah, the rhythms of nature. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, and when it's full moon, for instance, it's so light. Oh. <laughs> no, is it daylight already? No, no, it's just full moon, and you wake up several times. So, so aware of uh, what the moon is doing, and um, and of course the weather and uh, the seasons and and all that. Yeah, the rhythms. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, amazing! So, what's uh, maybe there's more than than one, but what's one of your favorite parts about living wild? Um, I think the peace and quiet, and also the sleep that we get. Mm. Because I found <laughs> if I'm in the city for a week, I get sleep deprived on a third day, and in immediately I feel uh, less happy mm. and uh, less energy. And because I have less energy, I compensate this with eating more. Mm. And um, so the effect of sleep, sleep deprivation is enormous. And so I feel so blessed to sleep when it's dark mm. and uh, to have this peace and quiet, which is so rare in the modern world. I think this is one of the big gifts that you're giving to humankind, because when we're living in society, we, just be, we get new normals. Sleep deprived is just normal. 
and oh right like the level of stress that we all walk around with that's just, just normal yeah, yeah eating, eating junky food is just normal but what happens when you get that sleep what happens when you don't have that stress you're eating that really good pure food wow for you to be able to speak to that is really powerful <laughs> greatest challenge and how do you uh, greatest how do you challenge of living out there you mean yeah in the beginning, so we set out and we had organisers quite well and it was all very exciting in that. And then we came to the place that we had found for, you know, that's where we're going to camp for the first three months. And in the beginning, it was not that much to do. We had plenty of food to eat still. And um, then I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do mm. the next four months? <laughs> because first you think, oh, it's, it's so beautiful, and it is, of course, absolutely stunning. And then, you know, so you have to go through that period of boredom and restlessness in order for the mind to calm down and to find the rhythm of nature because the mind is really speed up in the city, and you have to completely calm down and to slow down. And that period of slowing down, uh, the side effect is boredom and restlessness. <laughs> so um, that I, of course, didn't didn't know any of this, and um, so those first two weeks, because it takes about that long, I had to slow down, and that was quite difficult. And every time you go into the city and come go back out again, that happens again. <laughs> so it's really good to know that it is a small period of time that you have to sit through, really. Miriam, that's remarkable to hear because when the our people, we call them forest monks, come out to our programs here. Mm -hmm. I always say there's going to be a two-week period where your mind is going to have to slow down. You're going to experience oh, yeah. them, which is yeah. so painful. And if you can get yeah. through that, you'll be able to stay. But it is really tough for people. Oh, That's yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you also say two weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it takes about that time. And yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah. It seems like it happens almost to each person without fail. And sometimes it takes a little longer. Someone will say, oh, no, no, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And then, you know, it'll be like day four or five and all of a sudden, boom, it hits them. So <laughs> it's just, I find it really intriguing that you brought that up, too. So it seems to be almost uh, not necessarily a fact, but it, it's really a true thing. A natural thing, yeah. And if only people know that and that they don't think after a week like, oh, it's not for me because actually I'm very bored here and I need more stimulation. I'm out of here. Yeah. yeah if only they know that they should just sit through that for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's very great. Good to know to, to hear from you too. Yeah. Yeah. That exact. That's funny that it's that exact, that exact amount of time. Yeah. So I was reading on Peter's website and he said that part of the reason he went into the wild was to find out what would happen to his his body and his mind and we get to see these huge changes in people's bodies and minds out here what was your experience as far as personal transformations as you stepped out of society that changed in your physicality and your mental emotional state well for a start i was vegetarian i was brought up vegetarian so my mother cooked, never never cooked any meat. So the first meat that I ate really was uh, when we set out to live in the wilderness, when we thought, okay, now we're going to live off the land. Well, there is very little to gather here in New Zealand uh, concerning fruit and nuts and all that. It's, mm. it's simply not there. There are tiny berries in 
in the autumn, in the late summer autumn that you can pick. But the rest of the year there's very little to eat. So we had to eat meat. And there's plenty of it here, luckily. So, okay, I had made the decision to, um, to not be vegetarian anymore. And what happened with eating that wild meat is that I became a lot stronger and my hair and nails uh, became much more healthy. So my hair became one foot thicker than it was before. Wow. And um, physically, I, uh, because of my background in sports and that, I was, you know, I was quite strong anyway. But um, I maintained that fitness really well without doing any exercises. Hmm. So yeah. um, just walking with a pack in the mountains and that and exploring keeps me, both of us, really fit, which is quite surprising. So that's just by living naturally, you, be, you get a, a natural body, I presume. You lose fat and um, you become strong. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, you are very, very small in that vast landscape <clears throat> of the mountains and that. And you're very insignificant. And you are subject to whatever is happening. So you're really not very important at all. <laughs> and um, the psychological problems that you might have seem even smaller. Mm. And I found that they almost dissolve. You don't solve the problems. They dissolve. Mm. And so your mind gets freed up uh, from all these things, so you have more clarity. And also you have more um, awareness of what are actually your own thoughts and what do you want to do in life versus what is expected of you. So there's a lot more clarity all around psychologically. But one side effect that I found really amusing that I discovered lately is that in the wilderness... We have uh, fear sometimes of if we're going to fall off the, um, the cliff or something, you know, or mm-hmm. we get struck by lightning in a big storm or a tree will fall on us. Um, but that is only short-term fear. That's not long-term anxiety like most people struggle with in the cities. Yes. So I don't suffer from the psychological fear so much anymore at all because now I have to, because of my book that has come out, it's called Woman in the Wilderness, Mm-hmm. Um, I have to speak sometimes for more than a thousand people. <laughs> and I think, well, hang on a minute, I'm not in physical danger here. They're not going to kill me and eat me. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am in no danger at all, so I don't feel any fear. And um, this is really quite enjoyable. I do these, um, these international travel and all that without, without fear at all. So uh, I think this is a side effect of living in the wilderness. I sometimes think that Zen Buddhism and Taoism, all these pathways that are trying to get us to clear our minds, are really asking us to go back to just our natural ancestral mind. And I almost feel like that's what I'm hearing. This naturally unfolds for you in your in your physical body, without having to work out and do push-ups every day, and in your mind and your mentality. It's not about having to cultivate something. It naturally happens when you have to have that open awareness for hunting and that joy yeah yeah indeed if you live naturally it seems that all these things come naturally you don't have to work for it Mm. yeah because works create stress on the body and mind oh yeah and uh, all that training and that and um yeah what happens if you don't do all that well that's the i'm I'm testing it on myself you see (laughs) being a guinea pig thank you for testing for all of us (laughs) so along these lines what would you tell somebody who 
they don't want to leave society or they, they can't for whatever reason, but they want to get a taste of the wild or of what you're experiencing, what, what would you, how would you guide them into getting a bit of a taste of that? Well, you know, the most simple thing is just go for a walk in the park. Mm. Mm. But yeah, I'm not the first one who said that. So that's <laughs> well known and that's healthy and all the rest of it. I would also do things that is unexpected. Like if you live in a city, you know, talk to that person on the street who's begging and try to have some little adventure in the day that sort of keeps you a little bit alive. Mm-hmm. Do something unexpected, you know, and go to some sort of weird church or something or, um, you know, some sort of cult yeah. or some society that you never have anything to do with. But, you know, just try something different. Get off that regular path that you're always on and explore and adventure. Yeah. Yeah, and they, so the less you plan, the more those sort of unexpected things could happen. <laughs> so it's really remarkable. It's just to keep hearing these things. <laughs> it's eerie, kind of. That are a lot of the same things we talk to oh. the students about, and it happens for them. And, of course, you know, much shorter term. They don't get a chance to really totally break free of the civilized world in the way you have. But they still report these exact same things that... Well, I'm thinking of um, one of our students, we had an 11-month program, and one of our students, when he finished, he decided that he was going to go on to college, um, and he's doing great in college, but what he wrote to us was, I need to find some kind of different adventure on almost a daily basis in order to keep that sense of what I got in the woods alive. So it's just remarkable that you say the exact same thing. Yeah, and they, I think if you plan too much, we become like robots. <laughs> and it gives a sense of security, the predictability, but and also something in us dies because it's not alive anymore. It's not yeah. interacting with the reality, which is changing constantly. One other thing that I feel like, like society robs us of is a is a deep connection with each other, and when we see you two interacting, it just feels like. Your love for each other is something beyond what most of us conceive of when we think of two humans connecting. It's super inspiring. So what are the essentials for you to keep that love alive and that connection alive, especially as you're venturing back into society a little bit and and not just out in the woods all the time together, which I think naturally fosters that connection? Yeah. Um, so um, let me tell you a little bit about relationships before. When I was sort of um, 18, I had a boyfriend, and he was absolutely perfect. And um, he said, well, you know, we, we fit so nicely together. We, we could marry and have children later on, you know. And just the thought of that makes me feel like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> get, being together for life oh, my God, how how am I going to stand it? You know, it's so long. And so I quit the relationship, and it's all very tearful in that. Then I met Peter. I was 22, and Peter was 52 at the time. And, of course, we thought this is never going to last. We have to enjoy every day because soon I will, uh, I will, I will do something different and find a younger partner or or he might die, or, um, you know, something could happen at any time. So we didn't take each other for granted. Mm. (laughs) And I think that is the key for this is such an unusual relationship, this age difference, that um, we think, well, you know, 
make the most of it every single day. Um, and secondly, we don't compete because we're nothing like each other. We're not, we're not the same kind of people at all. Mm. I'm very physical and Peter is very academic. And, um, but we love this way of living. And that's very special to find uh, a person who wants to live the same way. Yeah. But um, but no competition. And I think it's very important because a lot of people and friends as well do nothing but compete because they're too much alike, you know. <laughs> they want to get better in, it, in certain areas. But, um, yeah, Peter is obviously the, the academic one and I learn a lot from him. And I'm uh, more physical and I help him out with carrying the pack because I can carry, my pack is about 25 kilos and his one is about 15 kilos. So it's a big difference there. Yeah. And so we appreciate the differences and I think that's very important. Yeah. Com complimentary instead of in competition. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's, it's just really beautiful. I love to see people who are savoring each other as they savor life together. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> For people didn't see, when we first met you here, we had Skype on video, so our two girls really wanted to just meet you briefly. They're uh, very adventurous young ladies, and when yeah. we watched a little um, video, we showed the girls a video of you and Peter and, and things, and our daughters were just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, and so... Miriam, you're a huge role model for them, and I'm sure many other younger people, um, aside just from our kids. And so I was wondering, what's, like, what's the biggest message you would give to young girls in, in this day and age? If you could reach out and talk to them and make a difference for them, what would you tell them? Well, I think maybe what my father taught me too, that I, because I'm a girl, I don't have to do all the girly things. I don't have to uh, play with Barbies. You know, he taught me how to make a bow and arrow. And we went to shoot bamboo arrows in, in the backyard, you know. Awesome. And I did judo as a kid and I did scouting and I'm very good at lighting fires without being made into some sort of tomboy. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have to uh, become very boyish. I thought it was quite normal that girls could do that as well, which, of course, it is. <laughs> it's very <laughs> logical that girls can do this and girls can be quite strong and um, and do all sort of things boys can do too. Yeah, so uh, my message is that um, girls can just about do anything. And uh, my mother always taught me about the Amazon women who um, shoot with bow and arrow and ride their horse backwards and all that. And uh, that was an inspirational story for me. And uh, I think those stories are important to tell. Well, it makes me think about our students here. And I'm not trying to offend any of our past students. I just have to say that it seems that when we have female students out here, they kick butt. They So much tougher, so much... More resilient. They are amazing. And so it's such a great message. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. I guess the girls who are really into that come to your place. <laughs> there are plenty of girls that uh, also it's not for them, which is fine too. My, my sister, who's also my best friend, she never liked any of that. She wanted to do ballet and um, play the flute. And so <laughs> that was fine too. But... Um, yeah, it is possible as a girl, of course, to um, to do uh, outdoor stuff. Yeah. Wow. That message that you can do anything you want. And also within your life, you can do different things. Like people ask me, will you now live forever in the wilderness? Mm. Well, I like to do many different things. 
So maybe in 10 years I will um, do something, you know, live in New York or something. <laughs> and so um, it is very tricky not to become imprisoned in your own image. So if I have an image of woman in the wilderness, then I have to have to do that. Well, that will be terrible. So to change, to do whatever you want in a certain period of time. You understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah. That's a message of freedom. It feels like. Yeah, yeah, and freedom in different, many different levels. Yeah. Now I've been reading about Peter's spirituality a little bit. He has some pretty fascinating background there. But for both of you, did going out into the wild affect your spirituality and yeah how do you how do you see that part of your life um i grew up very sort of spiritual and um believing in reincarnation and um um yeah many different religions as well and i thought okay i'm going to live in a wilderness and i'm going to um maybe reconnect with those spirits Mm. Um, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what that would be, but um, definitely I thought I would find that out. And what we found out, and Peter as well as myself, is that we became more and more p- pragmatic. Mm. And we didn't see any spirits of the river or spirits in the forest. Mm-hmm. And we had to throw all that out. And in the end, we didn't believe in anything anymore. And from that point of view, you can make and see what is then actually happening. So in my book, I've described some what you could call spiritual experiences of connecting with a plant, for instance. And, but that experience came so uh, as a surprise then it's not based on my previous beliefs because I had thrown it all aside and and then, um, you know, then see what is actually happening. And then, indeed, there is another kind of spirituality, but um, I haven't really got words for it. It doesn't fit in a religion. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, so that's what happened, actually. I have to speak to that for one moment because yeah. I think, the best experiences life in life, that, I mean, not the best, but the ones that really stick with you are the ones that you don't have words for, that our languages simply can't convey, and the only way to convey it is to just share it as it's happening. So that's beautiful. Yeah, and we also felt a um, deep connection with people, because, of course, we don't see many people out there. And if then somebody turns up, at one point, we felt, we both of us felt like we're looking through his eyes at the world. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly, it all looked very gray and and dull. And we looked at each other, and we suddenly looked very tired and old. And uh, it was a weird experience. And when the man went away, it, it switched back to, um, you know, our previous view of the world, which is very colorful, very bright. Yeah. And um, we're both looking very good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's interesting how our consciousness is not that individual as we think. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> well, again, that's something that we hear from the students out here is their their sense of self starts to dissolve a little bit into becoming their environment. And mm-hmm. those lines we draw between self and other just sort of slip away sometimes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and you, I feel that especially with fear. I don't know if you have felt it, but if somebody is afraid, the fear is very contagious, and you sort of feel it physically in your legs or something. Yeah. And then you have to have awareness and think, hey, hang on a minute, that's not my fear. Mm. Where does that come from? Oh, the, the, those people over there, they're afraid. 
Yeah. And then, and but we're so conditioned to think, oh, I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? And you can always think of something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then it is contagious, you see. Yeah. Boy, I wish that I wish that a lot of people could hear that message so that we could stop and take a moment before we react from somebody else's emotions to say, oh, as you said, wait a second, this isn't actually mine. Where is that coming from? As opposed to just jumping in and everybody going down the fear road together. Uh, that's a valuable message, too. Yeah, indeed. Because I think it's very, um, you know, animal behavior. Because if you look at sheep, for instance, they can't talk to their little lambs, but they um, pass on this fear, like run away from that human. Yeah. And, um, and so I think we still got the same sort of instincts. <laughs> so much inside of us, it just gets buried and covered up. And, hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So speaking of fear... When a lot of people come out to the school here at first, they're very, very frightened of nature. And sometimes it has oh, specific fears. It's lightning or the trees falling on you or wolves or whatever it's going to be. But often it's more just a pervasive fear. And I often say, you really were in much more danger driving here than you're going to be yeah. out in the woods. Yeah. But, but you do hear this idea that nature is very harsh and cruel and unforgiving and you hear other people saying nature is very nurturing and peaceful and through your experience which again is much longer than anything we've experienced here where do you land in that in that spectrum of what is the character of nature yeah i would definitely say both and it's very important to remember that it's both so when you're in the midst of a gigantic storm and trees are falling down and they might squash you in your little tent, <laughs> you have to think it will pass and tomorrow the sun will shine and everything seems very calm again. But you should certainly should not be uh, lured into thinking that it's either one or the other. Because if it's really good weather and everything is so peaceful, then you might not be prepared for the storm. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be both, be prepared for the worst and um, also for the best. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's the beauty of it. And also that's what keeps us always on edge in a way, especially in New Zealand where the weather is so changeable. <laughs> um, you can never trust it. And but that makes it exciting because we never know what the day is going to bring. <laughs> Sounds a little like Wisconsin weather. We had snow four days ago and I think it'll be... Oh, yeah? 70 degrees, uh, I don't know what that is in Celsius, but 70 Fahrenheit yeah. two days from now, so a nice summer day. It just goes all over the place. <laughs> yeah, 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 indeed. Um, yeah, you have to be very practical about that, eh? that you um, bring the, li- the right clothing, the g- rain gear, and um, yeah, warm, warm clothing and that, yeah. <laughs> I have a just a quick question that is more for my own sake, for fun. I'm just wondering what your favorite meal is cooked over a fire. Well, I have to come up with something extreme, of course, here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, one time we found, we got a stag, and um, oh, I looked, we took out the brain. And um, Peter said, I'll cook that up for you. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to eat that. You know, I've got, you know, some limits. And he said, oh, you just wait. And so we came back to camp and he didn't fry up the brain. And it was the most delicious thing I ever tasted. So the deer brain, it's like marshmallows texture. (laughs) And uh, really very, very tasty. My absolute favorite. Wow. 
Wow, what a what a what a prize <laughs> to great. a stag! My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, so you are stepping back a little bit into society here. There's all these old, new things that are coming back at you. If you could pull one of those out and get rid of it, is there one thing that you feel like has the most negative impact on your psyche or your physicality? For life in the city, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a noise. The noise. noise in the city I find absolutely unbearable. Mm. Uh, airplanes and highways and that. For, for instance, once I was sitting in, in a field very, very quietly, and then suddenly I thought, why am I feeling so anxious? Why, why am I suddenly feeling just slightly more unhappy? And I sort of retraced my thoughts. No, I couldn't come there. And then I discovered in the distance was a um, person cutting grass with a whippersnapper. Mm. Oh, wow. and, and I thought, wow, so this machine noise has a bad effect on, on us. And we're not aware of it because it's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it has really a bad side effects on all our mental health as well. It makes us anxious and anxiety. Right. Mm. And all those cultural influences that we just take as regular and normal and don't realize the impact that they have on us. Yeah. We're, we're so used to living with some of them because we're born into it for many of us that it doesn't even occur to us to examine that they would have an impact on us. No, Uh, indeed, yeah. Thinking about your experience through your life, living in the wild, and some of the things that you've cultivated, what would you say is one of the most important qualities that could help us as humans um, to thrive in the wild or in the world? I'm not talking about just like, surviving but actually thriving what's what are some of the qualities that we could cultivate as human beings yeah that comes back to what we talked about before but the art of doing nothing Mm. to actually (laughs) slow down and have that calm state of mind that's an important quality because um everywhere you know we talk about preppers like if the shit hits the fan then we're heading for the hill sort of thing right (laughs) and a lot of people then think that they can survive because they have skills but they never think about the psychological effects yes. of living without society. Absolutely. Because, and to be very, very far away from people. It is almost as though we're psychologically addicted to being around people. Mm. As though our rationality only works if we're physically near others. And I think a lot of people will collapse psychologically if they are actually heading for the hills. Mm-hmm. and have to live with two or three people in the forest. Yeah, so that's one of the skills. And other skill altogether is over the years, I, I think I've got more awareness of things generally. And um, this awareness is very important for relationships, coming back to your question about relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that if I don't have enough awareness, I don't see the conflict coming. Because if you think about it, before you have an argument, you might have four or five comments from your partner um, that sort of steers that way. But you choose to ignore that, right? And right in the end, you have an argument. Well, how did that come about? And I have to then not blame myself, but, you know, I can't blame Peter for it because I have ignored all these um, signals. And I think if people have more awareness, they would have way, way less conflict. Awareness. <laughs> yeah, such a good word, awareness. I, I, yeah. <laughs> again, that call of 
of Zen and all these Eastern traditions to, ha to have yeah. awareness of what's going yeah. on in our mental, emotional state. Yeah, yeah. We both found this with our students and with yourself that boy, those biggest challenges are really mental, emotional. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, because physical things you can learn and you can become stronger and in the end, you know, you master something. But psychologically, we don't see it that way. We don't see it as we practice. And that's the thing. You can practice as you can do physically, you can do it psychologically. Yeah. You spoke of people and our, our need for other people. You, have you two ever thought of, so you have kind of a tribe of two. Have you ever considered yeah. expanding your tribe in some way? Yes, we, we did think about communities and that, and we also talked about what it would be like to live in a tribe, you know, years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, imagine myself if I was the daughter of somebody and, you know, you live with your relatives and that. And um, I think there's so many rules about mm -hmm. what you should do and what you should become also. If you're born that way, you, you become the... Um, the shaman, if you're lucky, <laughs> or <laughs> someone else. I don't know about those roles, but it would be quite um, fixed uh, from sm small childhood, I imagine. I don't know. But I think I would feel a lot less free if I was in a tribe. But, of course, um, you would have security with the tribe. But I think I would be my perfect situation is just with the two of us. Yeah. We also thought about living in community. There are plenty of communities in New Zealand. But again, you have all these um, meetings. <laughs> I can't stand the idea of going to meetings and talk about little things that don't really matter. And then you have to, have to do things that you think are absolutely nonsense. Anyway. I think <laughs> for some I people it really works. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really great idea and some people are really happy and they do produce lots of brilliant things, including vegetables and selling products and all that, uh, but not quite for me. We can relate in a lot of ways. We're, we're laughing about the meeting thing just because it, it hits close to home. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've lived in community for a, quite a while and... And yeah. when people want to structure it in that meeting sense, that's just, yeah. oh, we just do not like that. Because I feel like humans can get along without that structure, but it takes a radical trust and connection. And Yeah. Yeah, Nate. Yeah, <laughs> okay, we haven't really been, I don't think we've been being mean to society or city living, but we have definitely been talking about all the benefits of living a more wild or nature-based life. As you've stepped back into society, what rewards or good things have you found about that experience? Are there some treasures that you saw in society or in city living that you didn't see before? Oh, <laughs> I never really thought about them that way. Um, what I do really enjoy meeting, uh, I mean, going back into the city is, um, or any civilization, is uh, meeting people. I'm delighted, and I um, would really then love to, to hear the whole story, because everybody has got a story, yeah. and, um, and then I'm really anxious to find out what that story is. So, um, yeah, the people itself, because I think in civilization, in, let's say, cities, you have buildings, you have roads, which are all dead things. So the humans are the only living things in the mm. cities. So there's not too many trees around. So that is the interesting aspect. Yeah, I'll talk with as many people as possible. Wow. 
So one of the things we do with our forest monks is after they've been out in the woods for a few months, we go back into the town and encourage them to go up and talk to some people, go up to strangers and interact with oh, them. Oh, yeah? Yeah, 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 great. Yeah, then there's this amazing discovery that people are more than just these things we have to just walk by and ignore. But if we stop, we connect with them. As you say, they all have stories and ideas and yeah. are, are these books, essentially. Treasure trove. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And because we don't have a home, we also rely a little bit on people, not rely, but we, we certainly take up the invitation when they say come to our house. And um, and then we suddenly have to adjust to that person's uh, atmosphere and, you know, what, what their home is and what it means. Yeah. And we learn a lot about how people are living because, you know, it's almost 10 years now that we lived in a house. And how do people live? How do they um, interact with social media? What is the effect of it? What's the effect on gaming? All those sort of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, so we study society by um, going into a person's home that we get invited to. <laughs> that has to be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating and shocking as well. If I see the effects on um, of smartphones and that on people and yeah. how addictive it apparently is. Yeah. Boy, the gaming, we see the effects of that, where people come out here who are really addicted to the gaming. And there's a there's a literal long-term withdrawal from the gaming to be able to get the mind back into even a basic state of being able to be aware and compassionate and, and functional. In the oh, yeah? Is that right? And how long does it take? Well, <laughs> there's that magic two weeks, but I feel like... Yeah. I feel like... When people are really immersed into the, either it's the, their phone that they have a lot of trouble getting rid of, or they've been heavy into gaming, that then yeah. it can extend out into a couple months sometimes. And, yes, I imagine, yeah. And I fear that's, you know, as our, our devices become more and more addictive, that that might be the way that we're going, where it's harder and harder to access that ancestral self, because... These devices are powerful, and they've trained our brains into a reward system that is like a chemical addiction. Yeah, indeed. And if those people then go back home, do you think they go back to their gaming, or are they sort of cured? You know, typically, they go back, and they go back into the gaming, and they'll have a period of two to four months where they go back hard into it, and then suddenly it becomes boring to them, and they quit. And oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, wow. I don't quite know how to explain why that's happening, but we've seen that process enough times that I, I'm starting to feel pretty confident when somebody goes back, that's what they're going to experience. They're going to jump back in and then... Get bored. Yeah. yeah, and then suddenly they realize one day they're just sitting on a couch and moving their thumbs and it's all fake and it's not, it loses its appeal. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, interesting that um, you say it's all fake. That, of course, the, the virtual world is all fake. But I feel when living in the wilderness, it's indeed so real. Even the hunting, it's so cruel in a way. But I, I feel it's real at least. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think we want, as humans, we want those visceral, real experiences. Yeah, we those raw experiences. Yeah. 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 Well, but, yeah. you can see why the gaming or, or even the social media is so popular because a lot of us in our culture that we're in, in this modern society, 
we aren't getting those chances to go out for the walk in the park or we're not choosing them. We're not choosing to get out into nature and to start to cultivate those senses that are dormant. And so that becomes what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's, it's a replacement kind of. It's, yeah. a, it's a stand in for real experiences. You can't get yeah. a sense of adventure because we're just trying to make ends meet and go into the same job every day. And then you get to yeah. go become a, a hero and slay dragons. But yeah. not the same as climbing a tree on a windy day and feeling it rock back and forth and that experience of, wow, you're just part of that tree and the wind and you're scared and you're excited and immersed. and Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it manifests in weird ways. We had a guy from Norway a couple of years ago, oh, from Sweden, and a bear charged him. They do bluff charges where they run towards you and then they veer off. Oh, yeah? And he stood there, scared for a little while, and then he said this thing overcame him, and he started running after the bear. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to, like, find it and and somehow blend with that, that experience to feel that visceral feeling of being alive. <laughs> oh, wow. Never heard of someone charging a bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, amazing. Also, unexpected things like that indeed happen in the wilderness, where, whereas you would think it's sort of boring and nothing happens. But, yeah, interaction with animals and weather and that. Yeah. Powerful experiences. Yeah. So, Miriam, you have been able to live in the wilds for a long time. And now with your book and with the outreach that you're doing, you're, you're stepping back into society. So it's sort of like you're dipping your toes in two different streams, if you will. Do you have any thoughts about where you might want to be in the next five or 10 years or things that you might want to do? Yes. At the moment, we are now staying with uh, in a friend's house. That's why we can do the interview. And indeed, with the book, is a lot of publicity and media going on. And then they... Um, uh, they invite me to come to a hotel. For instance, the, the the book launch in the Netherlands was in in Amsterdam, and they flew me from New Zealand to Holland, and they put me in a five star hotel and drove me around with limousines for one week, and I had lots of television to do and lots of interviews, and it was going from one extreme to the other because after that week I went back to the tent under a tarpaulin in the forest. Wow. And in both places, I'm very happy and very excited, but I do love the contrast to go, as I say, from one extreme to the other. But what I would hate is that middle way of the suburban, boring lifestyle where it's all kind of comfortable mm-hmm. and uh, mundane and uh, monotone. So what I would do in 10 years, I have no idea. Uh, what we would do depending also on Peter's health and that and um, uh, I have no idea but we have this philosophy of open doors Mm. and that means we don't have any goals we don't have any plans but Mm. we go with whatever whatever happens and whatever is offered and so maybe we get an offer of um, coming to uh, the States or to Canada or (laughs) to uh, China who knows and um, yeah we take up that offer that is (laughs) <laughs> that just makes me smile. I like that way of life. It's so... Um, adventurous. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, it comes down to the real. It's real. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people say, well, no, you know, because I get a lot of emails, that could be an open door, but people say, could you give a course or a workshop? And we're quite happy to pay for that. 
and I thought, okay, if I do that, it's kind of standard, you know. A lot of people do an, an amazing journey, and then they gonna do guide, be a guide for mm. others. But that means that they not suddenly have to plan things. That mm. uh, because those people then they come to New Zealand, say from Holland, and they plan their holiday and their workshop and their expedition, say. But then I'm sort of tied to those to that planning, and that I would find the most difficult thing mm-hmm. to have um, something written in my imaginary future. So the future for me is just one wide sheet mm. with nothing written on it, and I like to keep it that way. Yes, nice. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't, if I have to plan more, it's okay. I mean, I can deal with that. But I'll keep it most adventurous if I keep it open. Yes. No. Um, Super excited about your book. I'm ashamed to say I have not read it yet, but it is on my list here. And I want other people to be able to read this and get to learn from the experiences that you've shared and the life wisdom that you're going to be sharing. So tell us just briefly about your book and where people can get it. Yeah, so the book is called Woman in the Wilderness. And um, it's published by Ellen and Unman in uh, Auckland, here in New Zealand and Australia. And it is translated into Dutch, German, Chinese and French. And so that can only be bought online. Overseas you can buy it online um, on different websites. And all that is written on my website, miriamlounswood.com. And uh, there you can find all the links to where you can buy it. And there's also an audio book, more people interested in audio these days. And that is done from Great Britain. So, um, yeah, you can buy the audio book and the ebook, and um, you can buy the actual book online. Everything right there on your website. Yeah, miriamlanswood.com. miriamlanswood.com. Well, and for our listeners, we'll have uh, links to all of this on our podcast page so you can go and just be able to go directly from there so that it's easy to get to yeah uh, yeah the book is about uh six years of those years in the wilderness so from 2010 to 2016 and that describes how i um handled it like how the difficulties i had and i've been very honest and described how i was so afraid and uh, so happy and how it all was with peter and um, some of the difficulties there um yeah and all the things we've done it's, it's very well um, read and um, became a bestseller in New Zealand and in Holland. Wow. And hopefully more places. Yeah. This is the kind of reading material I wish everybody could get their hands on and would, and would read. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a question that I'm not sure if I've asked yet or not. If you could give a message to people who are listening and you knew that they would hear you, like with their heart, what would you want people to truly hear? What would you tell them? Yes, to step into the unknown and do something different. Do something different with your life. You know, think of something creatively to do. And because of that, you feel you're living an authentic life. Mm. And um, it creates an inner strength in yourself. And uh, you feel courageous and proud about yourself. And Mm. you have some respect for yourself that you're doing stepping into the unknown one drawback is though that if you go your own way you will disappoint the very people you love Mm -hmm. because your friends and family will want to keep you very close and they want you to do what they like you to do 
and they will get disappointed if you um, go travel and go to the other side of the world and you know go live remote or whatever and that is the most difficult bit mm. but in the long run I think your friends and family will be proud of that you've taken and taking your own path and thank you for that that's really poignant because one of our students right now is really struggling with he wants to follow his own path but feels all that pressure from family and his peers to just do the same thing that they've done and yeah, it is difficult yeah. Oh, yeah it's tough to break free of that but but yeah. i think you're right when we do eventually people turn around and they see wow they see the joy that people are living in when they follow their hearts and eventually they they come to really appreciate that yeah i basically told my parents look i love you but i will do this because they sort of think well you don't love me enough because um you're going away but you know it's possible to do both yeah (laughs) thank you for that that's just a beautiful beautiful message makes me get teary (laughs) i wish that everybody could really take that to heart <laughs> so is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd want to share or you feel like talking about? I always like to say that we live without time because we're not quite aware of it if you live in civilization. But to live without clock time, of course, we just eat when we are uh, hungry and sleep, uh, sleep when we're tired, but um, also without days of the week. Because when I was working, I was happy when it got close to the weekend but you know if you're wishing for it to be weekend you're basically wishing your life away yes because you know you had all those days you wanted to go away which is terrible and to live without time is such a blessing that we don't know what day of the week it is we don't care what year it is or month or whatever nothing matters and we've got this ocean of time we're not very rich in money obviously but we are very very rich in time Uh, And I think that is the new uh, wealth, to have so much time. Also to give, to um, spend time in nature, but also to give to others. And we have time to talk to the the person on the street. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the greatest wealth, these things. That is so remarkable. One of our recent videos that we did was on time addiction. And the reason we did that is because so many people that come out here, one of the toughest things for them to let go of mm-hmm. is knowing what time it is and not <laughs> it's so irrelevant yeah <laughs> and once they get free of it there's this uh, it's indescribable how free you feel when you don't have these numbers that divide up chop up your life into little bits yes but, indeed yeah yeah <laughs> so so again really remarkable to hear so many parallels wow yes indeed fantastic it's really great to hear you <laughs> Well, this has been such a joy. We so have appreciated you being present with us here and sharing all of this. And we're so excited for all of our audience to hear it. Oh, I can't wait. I've just, I have to express a deep gratitude that I have for you and Peter that you did follow your hearts, that you have stepped into the unknown, that you are choosing adventure, and that you're sharing it with other people. It always just restores my faith in humanity to know there's people like you out in the world. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. And... Boy, stay wild and please just keep sharing everything you do with the world. It's we're so Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Uh, take care. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye-bye. To go and learn about her book, Woman in the Wilderness, go to miriamlancewood.com. M-I-R-I-A-M-L-A-N-C-E-W-O-O-D.com. There is so much to learn about her. There are also, out on the internet, many other videos and interviews with her. You get to see and hear and learn more. So check her out. And we're going to have on our YouTube channel this podcast coupled with a number of photos that she's given us so that you can go also and just get a feeling for what she's been doing with her life. See some pictures from their adventures. Go to rewildu.com and the uh, page for this episode, and you will also find direct links to Miriam's stuff. So check it out, my friends. Now I want to jump in and say a really, really big thank you to our patrons. We get to do these kinds of things and share our learning from people like Miriam with everyone because of your support of us. And it is just tremendous. It makes me glow all the time to think about it. Speaking of support, right now we are doing a fundraiser for the 100% Project. This is where... Our family is uprooting ourselves from our life in northern Wisconsin, moving to Hawaii, and our aim is to get all of our food from foraging, from hunting and fishing, from growing ourselves with permaculture and agroforestry practices, and purchasing locally, that means within 50 miles. It's a very big, very fun, very exciting experiment, and you can be a part of it. So check it out on our website, rewildu.com, and it's up in the navigation bar. There's the 100% Project. You can learn more about the project, and you can learn how you can come along and how you can support us. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we will talk with you soon. Love to you all.